0: Amen. Thank you, Debbie. As as we come to the scripture, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 13 through 26. It's on page 1812 in the Pew Bibles. And let me pray for us as we come to the word. Lord, thank you for this good day. Thank you for Uh, the space that we have, and the people that we have been blessed with to be able to gather together. Uh, Thank you that we have the opportunity to worship you, and we pray that now as we come to the scriptures that you'd open our hearts and minds um, by your Spirit, help us to understand more of who you are and how you are at work in our lives. And so we give this time to you, pray that you'll use it for your purposes and to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, we spent a good bit of time talking about spiritual gifts. Uh, that the idea or the truth that every follower of Jesus has been given a call and, and abilities that are to be used for God's purposes in the body of Christ. And we explored the mistake that some people make by thinking that only the people who are kind of up front, in, you know, preachers and leaders and worship leaders are the ones who are given gifts in the church— when the reality is that every single, if you're a follower of Jesus, every single person has been given gifts and abilities and a purpose, a calling for the purposes of the kingdom of God in the world. So if you have put your faith in him, then the Holy Spirit is in you, empowering you. Now this week, we're not going to talk about gifts and what we do because the Spirit of God is in us. We're going to talk about fruit, as I mentioned to the kids, how we know, that the spirit of God is at work in us? What is the evidence that we are being changed by God? If the spirit's in me, there should be some sort of result of that in my life. Um, Have you ever received a, a good message from someone, but it was delivered in the wrong way? so that the message didn't really come through. So I'll give you an example. I think this often happens in our families, and so I see a number of kids out there. Well, all of us are kids at one time, right? Have you ever been forced to apologize to someone? You need to tell your brother that you're sorry for taking that from him. I'm sorry, right? The the message does not match the delivery, right, in that. Or have you ever been talking to your parents, and this is for sure for kids, and they respond as if they're listening, but they're actually not? Dad, 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 today in Minecraft, I leveled up and I got a netherite pickaxe and a whole body suit. And it's like the best kind of material that there is. I've been trying for months to get this. Yeah, that, oh, that's great. That's awesome, son. I'm really glad to hear that, right? Sometimes spouses do this, too. Just same. If the tone, attitude, attentiveness of the message doesn't match the words that are spoken, then we can tell that the motivation isn't really there, right? And if the motivation isn't true, doesn't match the message, then it kind of doesn't matter what the words actually are. You've heard the, uh, there's a saying, the medium is the message. This is the same idea as that. The way we say things, the way we live, communicates just as much as what we say and what we do. Similarly, our spirit-given gifts that we talked about last week and this call to follow Jesus, they're useless to us if the way that we treat other people doesn't also reflect the love of God. All of us have seen well-known and tremendously gifted leaders in the church fail, fall miserably, not because they didn't have a role to play and gifts to do great good in the world, but they fail because they chose themselves over other people. And they did, they've done more damage to the church than they have good in many cases. If our choices and our motivations and the way we live doesn't glorify God, then it kind of doesn't matter how gifted we are, right? So last week we studied 1 Corinthians 12 to understand spiritual gifts. And remember, uh, the, po- the problem that Paul was addressing is that the Corinthian church was obsessed with getting like supernatural gifts for worship, like prophecy, and particularly speaking in tongues. Knowing that 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 was a problem, Paul taught them about gifts, but do you know how he ended that teaching about the fact that everybody has been given gifts for the kingdom? Guess what comes after it? This is 1 Corinthians 12, the very end of what we read last week and right into the next part. So desire the greater gifts, and now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a banging symbol. And he goes through and lists all these wonderful gifts, but if you don't have love, it doesn't matter. And then he goes into the famous passage on love that probably half of you, uh, if you're married, had this in your wedding. Love is patient, kind, does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, not self-seeking, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. What do you think Paul was most concerned about in this teaching? The gifts that he was talking about or the love that they would have for other people, for one another? Paul always attaches the command to love other people to his teaching about gifts and service in the kingdom of God. The other ones we looked at last week briefly, Romans 12, it's right there. Ephesians 4, it's embedded in the teaching. We have to love We have to use our gifts to love other people. Paul knew that the greatest challenge that followers of God face is is the orientation of our hearts. Will we love God more than ourselves? And then will we, in turn, love other people the way God has loved us? Are we willing to sacrifice, to crucify ourselves for the sake of the kingdom of God? So once again, he begins our scripture today, which is from Galatians, by reminding the followers of Jesus that loving one another is their primary calling as followers of God. So again, it's Galatians 5, we're going to read 13 through 26. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. All right, we'll stop there. So the problem in Corinth that we looked at last week was disunity because of selfishness over gifts. Apparently, this church had a different set of problems, right? Actually, the church in Corinth had these problems too, but he was focused on a different problem that they had. Let me talk about the church in Galatia. So that's the city where these Christians live that Paul is writing to. And he's writing particularly because he's heard about some things that are happening. Most of the people at the church in Galatia had probably converted from some sort of paganism. So they were worshiping other gods, probably multiple gods, idols. uh, Probably sacrifice was involved in that. And very low moral expectations. Or actually sometimes things that, that, the Christ, that the church thought of and that the Hebrew people thought of as horrible, they lifted up or elevated as actually really good things. So when the people in Galatia who became Christians, these, these new converts, heard the message of the gospel, that if they put their faith in Jesus, that they were freed from their sin, they were given a great hope because they were given this Finally, a solution to the shame and guilt that they felt because of their sin. After all, they had consciences, right? So they knew that the way of living was wrong, and they were looking for a way out. So they 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 put their hope in Christ. They put their faith in Christ. But what some had forgotten, or maybe misunderstood, is that freedom from sin is not a freedom to sin. You see the difference? The Galatians were deceived into thinking that God had forgiven them and their souls were free and saved, and so it didn't matter how they lived their lives. Kind of a version of, because Jesus loves me and has forgiven me, it doesn't matter what I do. Remember, Don taught a few weeks ago that this was a common problem in the early church when it was entering into that Greek world is dualism, the, the idea that the soul is essentially separated from the body. And so when you're saved, your soul is saved, but your body you're gonna leave behind here on earth, so it doesn't matter what you do with your body. And Paul's teaching and what we, we talked about that week, no, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit that is in us. And when we die and go to heaven, when when the end of time comes, guess what we have? Resurrected bodies, real physical bodies that are part of our spirit and soul. They are intertwined with one another. So this is why Paul lists the series of vices in verses 19 to 21. Now, that list of acts of the flesh um, are not typical of most people. In fact, probably many of you as we were reading the list there were like, I'm doing pretty good, right? I'm, at least some of these I know that I'm not involved with, right? There are very few who, regardless of whether they follow God or not, actually live fully this way. Um, After all, every person is being created in the image of God, and so we have a conscience in us that tells us that there is a right way to live and a wrong way to live, and when we're not following God, when we're not doing the right thing, there's a, like I said, a sense of shame and guilt and knowledge that it's not right. But what the list shows is what the end result is of a life that gets completely turned inward on itself. That, that, that moral compass that's kind of embedded in us gets twisted and changed over time the more and more and more that we choose ourselves and reject God and turn away from other people. It's this idea that our own autonomy, who I am and what I want, that is the highest good. That is the sin that separated us from God in the first place and that separates us from other people too, right? It's, the, it's that self over everything else that leads to all the broken relationships in our lives. So another way of framing that would be because Jesus loves me, it doesn't matter what I do. That is not the way of the Spirit. And so Paul rightly condemns it here. Does that make sense? So that list is like the, the very end result of a life turned away from God. But there's another group of Christians that Paul's addressing in this passage as well that may be a little more hidden because we're not as familiar with their problems. Did you notice that a lot of the language had to do with the law? He kept mentioning, there is no law against this or this is the, you know, speaking of the law of God. A smaller part of the church was made up of Jewish people. Okay, so people who came from Israel, they were probably immigrants and they lived in Galatia, but they grew up knowing the Ten Commandments, and the teaching of the Old Testament, and the way that you're supposed to live, and are probably shocked and horrified by the way the pagan culture around them exists. And they've come to faith in Jesus. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and they believe that these other pagans can come to know Jesus, too. But what they're shocked by is that they're not trying to follow the law. And so what the, the, the Jewish people in the community are saying is, we've got we've to make a list of rules and we've got to all follow them so that we can get into God's kingdom. We have, to, um, we have to obey the rules so that Jesus will love us. We have to be really, really good, and I can tell that I'm really good because I'm better than these other people here, right? Notice the, the lists, that in the list of sinful behavior, Paul doesn't just include physical sins. He includes internal sins too, right? Hatred, disunity, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition, breaking into factions, so separating from one another. So the folks who think that they can earn God's love by pretending, pretending that they're kind of better than everybody else, they're equally at fault, and Paul's speaking to both sets of them. So basically, the people in Galatia had fallen into believing two false versions of the good news about Jesus, and these probably sound pretty familiar to us, Because we know people who have thought this way and we all fall into both of these ways of thinking sometimes ourselves. So false good news number one, because Jesus loves me, it doesn't matter what I do. That is not true. False good news number two, I have to be really good so that Jesus will love me. Have you heard that one or thought that one before yourself? I know I have. Neither of these ways of thinking and living is truly the way of Jesus. So, what is? Well, that's what the the bulk of this passage is about. Two times in the scripture, Paul uses basically the same phrase to describe what he's calling the the Galatians to do. In verse 16, he says, walk in the spirit. In verse uh, 26, he says, keep in step with the spirit. Walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. What he seems to be saying is that there is a way of following Jesus that is different than what the Galatians are experiencing. That if they could somehow, and if we could somehow keep in step with, uh, somehow participate with the Spirit of God, what he's doing in our hearts, then our lives will be increasingly defined by the other virtues. Can we try saying the... uh, The fruit of the Spirit, again, you can cheat if you want to, but let's try to say it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. By the way, is anybody else bothered by the forbearance translation? I learned it patience, so we're going to say it patience, okay? People, I don't care if forbearance is a better translation. It's it's still... Notice that the, the... the, the character of the, this list is different than the character of the vices, right? These are not things that we do. They're not actions that we take. They're certainly not laws that are kept. They're not rules to follow. They're a way of being that God produces in our lives. Some of them are internal to our hearts and our minds, like uh, the first couple, joy and peace in life. Uh, those have to do with kind of an inner contentment that I know God and God knows me and I'm okay. Goodness and self-control are also kind of internal, that um, core desire for righteousness. So a desire that my life would be right and a desire of good for other people. And then self-control, the agency and the willingness to not do to work against my, my flesh, the things that I want to do. But most of the virtues, or the other half of the virtues at least, are more relational, right? They they have to have an object for them. Patience and forbearance, whichever word you want to use, you have to have somebody to forbear. (laughs) Someone to be patient with in order to practice that fruit, right? Uh, Kindness and gentleness require someone to be kind and gentle too. And then the other one's goodness, faithfulness, and peace. There's an outward orientation in a way to those as well, right, that we're good to other people. We produce faithfulness in our lives. So as with the gifts of the Spirit that we looked at last week, this is not an exhaustive list of everything that it means to follow the Spirit of God. So it's not like a, a, a set of things that we do and we check the box, like, yep, I have mastered self-control, right? No, it's a way of, of being that we throughout our lives as we walk in the Spirit, live into. Remember what we talked about last week, that if you belong to Jesus, you've been given a spiritual transplant. Do you remember that image that I used last week? So there is a new heart, a new spiritual heart in you because the Spirit of God is in you. And God is reorienting that new heart to a different way of living. And the most important way that we're changed is is by that very first fruit, love. Love is the first one that's listed, and if you think about it, love leads to every other single one of those. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those things are demonstrations of love in one way or another, either love for God or love for other people. This is the same idea that I shared earlier. The medium is the message. The way that we live, the way that we love, keeping in step with the Spirit is the most important aspect of what it means to follow God. It's the kind of people that we are becoming that shows the world and speaks to the world the truth about who Jesus is. Now, this leads to a very important question. So think, you, think about this with me, and if, if I lost you, come back to me now, okay? Based on everything that we've talked about this morning, how do I know That I have the Spirit of God in me. I want everyone to think of one word from the passage that we've read that would sum up how we know that we have the Spirit of God in us. What is the evidence, the proof, the result of the Spirit of God in our lives? One word. Does everybody have one? Okay, on the count of three, I want you to say your word. Ready? One, two, three. Conflict. What did you say? Fruit? Anybody say fruit? Love? Some of the other ones? Let me explain what I mean by conflict being the evidence of the Spirit of God at work in my heart. There is a struggle, an internal battle between who I am in my flesh and who I am becoming in God. Look at what Paul says in verse 17, if you still have your scriptures open. It says, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. So what that means is I know the spirit is in me because I am wrestling with this call to follow God versus this call to the flesh that lives inside of me, right? God is showing me what is contrary to his will, through the scriptures for sure, but also because the Spirit of God lives in me and is pulling me away from the vices and toward bearing fruit in God's kingdom. So there's a way of life that is becoming clearer and clearer to me as a follower of Jesus as I walk with God, and the same is true for all of us. It is the fight that you experience, the internal tension in your heart and soul that shows that God is work in spite of that God is working in spite of whatever brokenness you've got inside you. Does that make sense? If you are experiencing tension in your life, turmoil, because you know that you're not who you ought to be, and you long to be changed. You long for your soul to be different. And so you're actively yielding your life to God. The conflict itself, the struggle. Is evidence that the Spirit of God is at work in you. That's what keeping in the step with the Spirit means. Now, it's not the only thing that's evident. There is also the fruit. So, whatever you said before, you were right, okay? I was just messing with you. There is the process of growing up into all these attributes that also demonstrates the Spirit is at work. God does not leave a heart that He has saved alone. He doesn't leave us alone to figure out and work our sin for ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean that we're ever going to be close to perfect in any of the ways that are described in the fruit of the Spirit. But what we see as we yield our hearts to God is a growing desire to love God and love other people the way that God has loved us. And how has God loved us? Well, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We do not need rules to tell us that these are good and right. We know that that life that's described here is better than what we know our selfish desires will lead us to. And we know that we can't grow that kind of fruit alone. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, your call is to continually, daily yield your heart to God. Seek to use your gifts in the kingdom and trust that the spirit of god will produce and is producing fruit in these ways as we walk with him. Amen. Now, that truth is hard to believe sometimes, especially when we don't feel the spirit of god inside, right? And there are moments of darkness in life where it feels like somehow god has turned away or we have turned away, but the spirit is not there. So, we're going to give this idea more attention next week as we talk about what in scriptures called the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, what does it look like as our lives are transformed by the spirit of God? And why don't I always feel close to him? All right. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this word and um, the scriptures that help us to teach and understand more about you and the way you've um, embedded yourself in our lives. And I pray that, um, that you would encourage each person as they go from here that you are at work in their hearts and minds and spirits. I pray that the the internal conflict that we experience would lead us to repentance and lead us toward the fruit of the Spirit, that we might be a blessing to other people and demonstrate our love for you by the way that we live our lives. So fill us with your love. Fill us with the fruit of the Spirit. May we glorify you as you continue to change us each day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.